covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as we continue our off-season editions of the program and uh, just continue to talk about uh, the Brewers looking back on what was uh, their 2019 season that ended in a wildcard game loss to the Washington Nationals, who are now in the World Series, which will get started this week, and also looking ahead to the 2020 Brewers. The bulk and the uh, the oomph of our content today will come in our social media conversation. We are going to uh, welcome on Jim Goulart from BrewerFan.net. He is going to join us here in just a few minutes. I want to start today by kind of laying out my thoughts on some news that came out this past weekend. It's not so much Brewers-centric, it's baseball-related, but it definitely would have a major impact on the Milwaukee Brewers. And I, I want to get into this, and it's something that's that's near and dear to my heart. Sometimes there's folks out there that uh, razz me a little bit because I'll make reference to my time working in minor league baseball uh, because that's where I was before now, and I, I reference that fairly often. But I'm, I'm proud of my time that I spent in minor league baseball, and I also think it gives me um, a, a fairly good idea and understanding of some things that are happening not at the major league level that impact things going on at the major league level. And the news this past week came courtesy of some just fantastic reporting from uh, Baseball America. And I would encourage you, I, I retweeted it. You can find it on my Twitter account, at Matt Pauley on air. Uh, you, can, uh, you can find the thing. Uh, just go to BaseballAmerica.com. You don't have to have a Baseball America subscription. I think they let you read like five articles a month before uh, you hit a paywall. So I, I really want to touch on that in just a moment. So we'll, we'll get to that here, but let's do our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the program. If you want to get in contact with me, best way is via Twitter at Matt Pauley. On air, M A T T P A U L E Y on air. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review, that would be fantastic. If you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, that helps it move up the uh, charts as well, and that's a big deal. If you don't listen on Apple Podcast, if you don't want to subscribe, if you don't want to leave a ranking and review, I just appreciate you being uh, tuned in each week. So thank you so much uh, for that. Of course, you can always find us uh, at the WTMJ website. And also a hello to everybody who's listening during uh, Doug Russell's Pod Center on 540 ESPN. He uh, runs this podcast back. So uh, hello to you. And if you don't know what you're listening to, you're actually listening to a podcast that is uh, generally available to you at all those places I mentioned just a moment ago. And uh, we are recording this on Sunday evening, Sunday, October 20th. So that's um, the information is current as of 10:19 p.m. on Sunday, October 20th. Just to uh, just to give you that idea. All right. So, Baseball America uh, reported this past week that Major League Baseball wants to make some major changes with Minor League Baseball. I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit on this one, and I apologize if you just want to hear Jim Goulart and you start pressing the plus 30 button. I'm not going to blame you. I think this has a great impact on baseball overall, but it also might be something that the average Major League Baseball fan doesn't care that much about. I would argue that you should care, but if you don't and you don't want to hear me get into the weeds on this, start pressing plus 30 and all. You'll be hearing our conversation with Jim Goulart here in, uh, here in just a moment or so. All right, so some basic kind of understanding here. A lot of people think that 
minor league baseball is basically owned by major league baseball or it's all kind of under one umbrella that's actually not the case minor league baseball is its own business operation and they have a contract with major league baseball to provide the player developmental system and the teams that play in minor league baseball they they provide that for major league baseball but they are two very separate entities that through a contract they do a lot of things together but they are not they are not connected now there are major league teams that own some of their minor league teams like for example the brewers uh they recently bought the carolina mudcats generally you're going to see the teams own uh the teams that play at their uh, facilities the short season teams uh that play in the arizona summer league or play in the uh the florida summer league things like that generally more often than not those teams are owned by the organizations. It seems to be a trend right now in baseball that more and more major league organizations are trying to own as many of their minor league baseball teams as possible just so they can have full control. But still, more more minor league baseball teams than not are owned by independent owners. And uh, that's that's the way they make their money. You know, they 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 own professional sports franchises and they own minor league baseball teams. That came to the forefront a couple years ago when the Brewers went into Colorado Springs as their AAA team, and then uh, Colorado Springs lost their AAA to San Antonio, and all of a sudden the short season team moved from uh, what was it? it was from Helena moving into Colorado Springs. All those teams are owned by the same group. It's the Elmore Sports Group. And they own the team in San Antonio. They own the team now in Amarillo, which San Antonio had moved from. They owned the Helena team that they moved into Colorado. So they owned all these teams. So they were able to move things around a little bit. And the Brewers have multiple affiliation agreements with the Elmore Sports Group. Now, they... They do work with other teams as well. Like the Brewers don't have their Double A team in Amarillo, which is also owned by Elmore. But you, the the idea here is that professional sports owners own multiple minor league teams. So Major League Baseball wants to reduce minor league baseball, and part of the reason why there's there's some cost cutting in this, and there's also some facilities issues. If you go to some of these short season teams. Uh, you are going to see some pretty bad facilities, and even some full-season teams. Like I'm not trying to take a shot at Beloit, Wisconsin here, but I, I worked in the Midwest League for two years. Uh, that ballpark in Beloit does not meet the the standards that Major League Baseball wants it to meet. And they're working on getting a new deal done in Beloit, and it sounds like a new stadium is going to be built under new ownership, but the current stadium as it is, is unless it has changed in a major, major way over the course of the last 10 years since I was working in the league, it's not where Major League Baseball wants their players to be training. So part of this has to do with finding a way to in markets and in cities where the facilities are not what they want them to be to almost just eliminate those cities. I also think part of this is connected to there's been a trend here recently where there's been a lot of people calling for Major League Baseball to pay players more in the minor leagues because they don't earn a living wage. They 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 really don't get much money. And we're not talking about the guys who were first-round draft picks and got huge signing bonuses. We're talking about the guys who were drafted later, who are undrafted signees, and they just they don't make a lot of money. 
they they don't make enough money to to even live and major league baseball has done a really bad job in terms of trying to allow those guys to make enough money just a living wage just a living wage is all we're talking about and clearly there's enough money for major league baseball to lift the salaries it almost at times seems like well major league baseball saying okay well everybody's calling for us to uh, pay players more in the minor leagues well maybe we'll just give them less opportunities because this this starting point where Major League Baseball is coming from, and the reason they're able to do this is because the current deal with Minor League Baseball is going to be coming up again, and they're starting to renegotiate uh, what it's going to look like moving forward. This, this plan would reduce the Minor League Baseball teams by about 25%. About 40 Minor League Baseball teams would not even exist anymore. Which, that stinks. That really stinks. And I think, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, like I can see actually the numbers on where most people are, where they're listening to this podcast. Most people who listen to this podcast, not everybody, but most people are listening in Wisconsin. So I got to think that, yeah, maybe you do go to uh, Timber Rattlers games. Maybe you do go to Snappers games, but probably you spend most of your time going to games, going to Brewers games. But if I was talking to a national audience... Uh, Major League Baseball teams, they're only in the big markets. And there's a lot of smaller communities that are serviced by minor league baseball teams. And it's affordable baseball. It's good family entertainment. And I think also a really important part of this is it's a way to develop fandom. Going to baseball games as a kid is a really important thing, I think, for, uh, for kids to just love the game of baseball. And there are a lot of small markets that would be potentially losing their teams. At one point when I was working in the Midwest League, I was working in Burlington, Iowa. If this proposal moves forward, I don't think Burlington, Iowa has a baseball team anymore. They play in a ball. They're a community-owned team. They're, they're the Green Bay Packers of the, uh, of the Midwest League in the sense that this, they're owned by the community. There's not a centralized owner. And it's a big part of Burlington, Iowa, having a minor league baseball team. And you can go look at a lot of other markets across the country and find those type of situations. Now, maybe I'm looking at it from a utopian perspective. Like, the, It's not minor league baseball's job to provide teams to these communities per se, but it kind of is, and they're there, and just pulling these teams out from underneath of these teams would, would stink. And then you're also limiting the opportunities because Major League Baseball teams would be forced to only have four full-season teams, so the AAA, AA, High-A, and Low-A teams, and then one short-season team that would operate out of their uh, spring training operation. So that would – the New York Penn League and the, the, the Pioneer League, uh, all those leagues that are, are short-season ball and rookie ball would, would be gone – Except for the Arizona Summer League, and I guess the what the Florida State League, not the Florida State League, the Florida Summer League. Florida State League is a is a full season league, but the uh, the Florida Summer League down there, they would all be gone. All these markets would be losing teams. Now, another motivation here for baseball, Major League Baseball, is they want to have things that make more sense from a geographic standpoint. I can actually get on board with this. There's a lot of things in minor league baseball that don't make a lot of sense from a geography standpoint. For example, the Pacific Coast League, it spans three separate time zones. Uh, 
You could be playing in Des Moines, Iowa one day and Fresno, California the next day. And all the travel is done during com- via commercial travel. And you're playing one night and game gets over at, uh, at midnight. There's a rule in the Pacific Coast League that you're supposed to take the first flight out the next day. So these guys, they're not sleeping. They're traveling through the night. It's, a, it's not a good situation. I understand why Major League Baseball wants to kind of clean things up in terms of the travel and the geography and the footprints of leagues. I can get on board with that. You know, there's talk about um, reducing the Pacific Coast League and uh, increasing the International League. There used to be three AAA leagues, which actually probably made more sense than the current situation, but they got rid of the old, I think it was called the American Association, which is now a name of an independent league. But there there was a third one, and they got rid of it, and they put the teams between the two leagues. I'm on, I'm fine with Major League Baseball trying to clean up the geography. There's talk of the South Atlantic League uh, breaking up into two separate leagues, again, for geographic purposes. All that stuff makes sense. Getting rid of teams doesn't make sense. Everything else makes sense. Now, here's the other part. Uh, the proposal lays out uh, the idea of taking some like AAA teams and moving them to single A, and taking some single A teams and moving to AAA, and you know vice versa, and, and just moving teams uh, from one classification to another to better fit the ge- geography needs that they want. I understand where they're coming from there. What they want to do though is they they're going to put these kind of arbitrary values. On a team where they're going to value all Triple A teams at twenty million, Double A teams at fifteen millions, High A at ten million, and Low A at eight million dollars, and then the short season teams at six million dollars. So if a team was moving from Class A to Triple A, they would have to pay twelve million dollars to move up, where a team being asked to move from Triple A to High A would receive ten million dollars. This makes zero sense, zero sense whatsoever. From a general standpoint. Yeah, teams in AAA are worth more than teams in lower leagues, but it's not actually based upon what what level and what classification you're playing at. It's more about the market size, and it's more about the ballpark that you're playing in. The ballpark has a lot to do with the value of the team. You, know, you go to the Chicagoland area, and there's a team in the Midwest League, the Kane County Cougars. They're in the Chicago market. So they have, they are worth more money than double A teams and triple A teams that are in smaller markets. So that just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, there's talk about trying to find independent league opportunities in cities that would lose their teams. So you you don't have the facilities. You're not good enough anymore to be a uh, an affiliated minor league baseball team. But we're going to work to try to bring independent baseball to to your market. Makes zero sense. Doesn't work out at all. I'm going to use Beloit, Wisconsin, as another example. So in smaller markets like that, the way that they're able to field teams is largely because the players are being paid by those major league baseball teams. If you are an independent baseball team, and like the Milwaukee Milkmen, who just started this past year, they are an independent baseball team. They're not affiliated with Major League Baseball. That that team is responsible for covering the payroll. You have to be in a bigger market. You have to be able to draw a certain number of people, have enough advertising revenue come in to have the business model where it works that you're able to pay for all these players on your payroll. The Milkmen are able to do that. 
Uh, you know, one of the most famous independent league teams out there is in St. Paul, Minnesota, the St. Paul Saints. They can do that. All that teams uh, in the Atlantic League out east, where a lot of former major league or major league baseball players go to play, they can afford to pay players uh, because of the business operation and the revenue that's being created. If you went into Beloit, Wisconsin, and told that franchise, hey, you're going to have to uh, pay for your roster now, that team would be out of business faster than, than, than anything you can think of. They're done right there. So the idea that Major League Baseball is going to go help these some of these markets that lose their teams get independent baseball, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke because it's not – it's not financially feasible at those levels. And then that leads me to this point. Major League Baseball also supposedly wants these minor league baseball teams to start uh, contributing to the cost of the player salaries that play in those markets. Everything I just said stays true to that. It doesn't work. Now it's going to work in some places. You know, if you're in a major if you're in a major league market, if we're talking about a Nashville or a San Antonio or a, a Sacramento, like these uh, these places that are really big markets that have teams, yeah, they might be able to uh, have the revenue coming in that they could help with player salaries. But the vast majority of minor league teams, they're not going to be able to help. And many minor league teams out there have like three or four front office members. You, know, you got a general manager, an assistant general manager, a field guy, and uh, like a public relations radio guy. And that's it. That's your front office. Four four people, guy or woman, is what I should, I should say. I say when I say guy, I speak just of people, not uh, a man or a woman. But you get what I'm saying. There's there's four people. They can't pick up these extra costs. At the end of the day, Major League Baseball, I feel like, is losing losing touch with the average fan out there, and. I think I don't know if we completely understand what's going on in Milwaukee because the Brewers do such a great job at keeping tickets affordable, making sure that you have a great ballpark experience, whether you're sitting on the field level or up in the the terrace or the loge level. Like it's just a, it's a really good experience for everybody. That's not the case everywhere, and tickets are continuing to get more and more expensive. There's more luxury boxes. There's more luxury everything. And Major League Baseball owners are just trying to, for the most part, not every owner, but when we're talking about them as a collective group, they're trying to make more money. They're trying to stuff their pockets. And this is another example of this. Well, let's let's stop having so many minor league baseball players on our payroll. Now, here's where this really affects the Brewers. And this is one of the most frustrating things that I have seen in the Rob Manfred era of Major League Baseball and why I'm really disappointed in Rob Manfred as a as a as a baseball commissioner. And it just I don't I don't like he works for the owners. I get it. Uh that that kind of changed too. It should be noted that changed when Bud Selig became the commissioner. Prior to Selig, the baseball commissioner was kind of an independent third party. And then once you got an owner into that spot, all of a sudden the commissioner looked a lot more like the commissioner of other sports where their job was to have the best interest of the owner and to work for the owner. And I just feel like we keep seeing rules that are hurting the small market teams. Look at how the, from a competitive on-field standpoint, look at how the Brewers have been able to compete recently. 
they've done things a little bit differently. Now, other teams have, have done some of those things as well, but the Brewers, through the use of data, through the use of analytics, they've been able to do things differently, and it has worked. Um, now, all of a sudden, we're expecting pitchers are going to be forced to face at least three batters or finish out an inning. Uh, the expanded rosters in September. Things like that that the Brewers were able to use as a competitive advantage are being taken away. Very often I feel like these rule changes that are coming in are anti-Brewers rules. And if this realignment of minor league baseball happens, it's going to be another thing that hurts the Brewers because it's going to limit the number of minor league baseball players. Minor league baseball players are cheap. They just are. You can you can give them a living wage. You can do what I was talking about earlier and start to pay them more, and they're still going to be cheap. So for the Brewers, having as many minor league baseball teams as they have and being able to, to carry an extra short season team and, and have an extra team, and I think in the Arizona Summer League, they just try to create as many extra opportunities as they can. What you're doing is you're you're getting more players into your organization and you're allowing for the opportunity that some of these players who are not drafted or drafted really late or didn't work out with another organization and you're giving them a second chance, you're you're hoping that one or two or three of those guys are able to advance and be contributors at the major league level. All of a sudden, you got a lot less minor league guys. You don't have that opportunity anymore. So I don't like this. I don't like it at all. I don't like it from a baseball standpoint. I don't like it from a community standpoint. I understand there are some issues. I understand from a geography standpoint, there's things that don't work out. Um, I understand from a facility standpoint, there's things that don't work out. But you know what? You're so upset with the facilities at the minor league level. Work with these teams to get stuff done. I just talked about these teams not having the money to be able to to be able to pay for these changes, but if if Major League Baseball and if Major League Baseball teams would go in and, and cover some of the bill which they absolutely could afford, get get involved in those communities and maybe you say, Oh, they don't have time for this. But those teams finding a little bit of money to help pay for some of those things, going to local governments knowing the value of these baseball teams to these communities, see if this, the city can help out a little bit. There's a lot of things you can do before finally saying, oh, okay, we're done with this city. We're done with this ballpark. We're done with this situation. There's a lot of things you can do. And baseball is about the fans, and it's about the fan experience, and it's about kids going to games, whether they're going to a single-A game or a major league game. It's about these kids being able to experience baseball. And you're taking that away, and it just, man, it bums me out. It really bums me out. I hate everything. Again, not everything, but the, the end result. I hate everything about the end result. And, again, I've, I've already been uh, pontificating about this for, for 15 minutes, so thanks for sticking with me on it. Uh, I would encourage you to read the article at Baseball America. What I, I'm hopeful that this is just a starting point, and at the I, I don't want to see baseball teams lost. That's what I don't want to see. I don't want to see teams and leagues go away. If if you got to move some teams around, change some affiliations out, or uh, change some classifications out is what I mean to say, where you're 
making things make sense more from a geographic standpoint. Yeah, if you're an owner of one of these teams and you're a triple-A team and all of a sudden you're being asked to be a single-A team, that, that stinks, but it's it's better than losing your team all the way around. And that's the other side of it. You probably don't care about this, but if you're somebody who owns some of these minor league baseball teams, if you're a company and you you make your money and you make your living on owning minor league baseball teams and there's a lot of front office people who you pay and provide jobs and then Major League Baseball just says, yeah, we don't need these teams anymore. That's jobs. That's a lot of things lost. You know, these these teams are worth millions of dollars. Right now, if you're a... If you're somebody out there considering buying, uh, you know, let's go back to Beloit for a second, and this will be the last point I make before we move on. I promise. The Beloit Snappers were just purchased by a new a new owner, and that new owner wants to build a new ballpark in Beloit. Awesome, right? Well, that owner right now has got to be going. Wait a minute, am I? Is there even going to be a team here? You know if. If this news, if this report by Baseball America comes out prior to that sale, is that sale even made? Because all of a sudden, this the this owner could just lose this team just because Major League Baseball wants to pad the uh, the wallets of some of the owners. Don't like it. Don't like it at all. All right, Jim Goulart is going to join us here uh, this week on the podcast. Let's go ahead and get right to that. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation, bringing back onto the program a guy that uh, you see over at uh, BrewerFan.net doing a lot of things. He's responsible for a lot of the information that's not uh, readily available becoming readily available. He is uh, Jim Goulart. Jim, uh, always good to talk to you. Your Twitter handle for folks that want to follow you at Mass underscore Haas, M-A-S-S underscore H-A-A-S. Jim, great to talk to you. How are you? Matt, I'm doing fine. Thank you so much. I was just uh, glancing at the calendar here. It was August 4th when we last spoke. Um, Thanks for having me back on. The uh, Brewers had just been swept at Wrigley by a 17-5 cumulative score. And uh, I was a little sour that evening. <laughs> I think most of uh, the Brewers' uh, fandom was sour that evening, and, and rightfully so. And that's a great jumping-off point because here is the the season's still recently over. A lot of these conversations I'm having are still kind of more looking back as opposed to looking forward. And we'll do our fair share of looking forward. But from that point forward, and they really got chugging along even a little bit after that. It wasn't uh, it wasn't immediately then, but obviously they went on quite the September run again. They get into uh, the postseason. How, knowing where you were at and then where the team finished at, how did you feel about those final two months and maybe more specifically final, you know, five weeks or so of the uh, of the season, getting them into the postseason? Yeah, immediately after that weekend sweep, they went to Pittsburgh and won three, and they won the first two games at home against the Rangers for a five-game winning streak. So I was kind of hoping that, in in retrospect, that I had spoken to you a week later. Um, I learned something about myself, too, and I think it's it's part of the regular fandom as well. Um, This team ended up winning 89 games, um, losing 73, and... You would think that with that 16 games over 500, that the wins is what really stays with you. And yet, even 
um, in looking back now, it's amazing how it's just a, a, a fan, casual or otherwise, that it's the losses that stay with you. And I'm not sure why exactly that is. You could probably speak to your phone lines being more full after a tough loss oh, yeah. than an invigorating win. And um, I think coming off that weekend, uh, that's where my mind was because it was a middling season. And even though I, I kind of listened back on that shortly after, and I said, boy, I, I was probably more down than I should have been. Um, really, it wasn't that far off from how they had played up to that point. I mean, you, you tried to talk me off the ledge a bit, but then coming off and doing what they did, let's face it, uh, it this was a lot more fun than, let's say, the last full run Renicky year when you struggled. Um, when you, what was the year that they basically was the most games in first place year is what I'm thinking of. And it was the most games in first place, but there was a, a dreadful collapse um, in late August and September. Well, this was a, a lot more fun to do it in reverse. And uh, I wish things could have been a little bit different in that final weekend. I think we all looked at the schedule at the beginning of the year and went, went oh boy, at Colorado for the final three, that, that might be interesting. But um, how can you quibble with, with the joyride they gave us over those last uh, really six, seven weeks, huh? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think there's... I think there's nuance to a baseball season that sometimes people have a hard time with because it's it's okay. I'm not again. I, I try my very best not to tell people how to be fans, but I'll, I'll say this: I think it's okay to look back at the season and say they didn't meet expectations. They didn't do what what you know. They didn't win the division when they went for it and when they brought back Mustakas and when they got Grandall and it felt like that they were really going forward and they were one win away from the World Series, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, they, they did not meet the expectations that were there before the season got started, and that's a cold, hard fact, and that's something that needs to be dealt with, and hopefully David Stearns is able to do that in the offseason. But at the same time, you can also say, but it was still there were still accomplishments in the season. It wasn't a bad season. They made it to the postseason. They made it to the postseason in back-to-back years for the second time in, in franchise history. It always seems like people want to say, it was either a bad season or a good season, and I'm always one that says you can look at it and say there were good parts and there were bad parts. So while maybe there was some aspects of underachieving this past year, I think they also deserve a lot of credit for getting into the postseason. Absolutely, and they did overcome uh, both the unexpected and uh, some injury situations. There were some breakout stars. There were unexpected performances from from young players. Um, at the same time, they did a, they did a minor move this week, actually a major league contract move, where they they, they re-signed uh, AAA reliever Diolis Guerra of the Flying Guerra brothers, and uh, and I was quickly reminded that not only was his performance, his one and only performance this year, really bad in the big leagues, but it led to an extra inning loss that never should have happened. And then you start thinking, well, if that game had gone like it should have. And that's, that flips the switch on the whole entire last week of the season with the Cardinals and, and you know, their status and for the division. And so it's very easy to let your brain get wrapped around what if, what if, when really just sitting back and recognizing a, a really fun season. Uh, well, let's put this, a really fun last seven or eight weeks that uh, w- was unrivaled, so to speak. How do you think David Stearns does go into the offseason? Maybe we'll go into some of the individual things in a second, but... 
I got to think that, you know, while, while as fans you're maybe left with what happened in the final five weeks of the season plus the wild card game, I got to think David Stearns is looking at what happened uh, in the in the first five or so months of the season saying, okay, there are some things that obviously this team needs to uh, improve upon, maybe specifically from a pitching standpoint. I'm very interested to see if there's going to be more veteran starters in spring training. I'm interested to see the the depth level of the bullpen and if some more major league type relievers are brought in. It seems to me that pitching would be the thing that uh, is maybe the most compelling part of what this offseason is going to look like. I really think they were locked and loaded prior to the Knable injury and the Jeffress um, situation with, with his status coming out of spring training. They had really, coming off of last year, they were loaded up for this. This was, this was it. I mean, because now there is so much indecision in terms of potentially what could happen uh, with this roster now. Um, because of the performances of Travis Shaw and, of course, Jesus Aguiar has gone, and things that we thought were in place as recently as last spring that for 2020, meaning, you know, oh, yeah, this is solid for the next year or two. Um, they're all in question, and there's so many situations from middling to, to important. Uh, people like... Guerra and Ray Black and Jake Faria now, you know how they love their optionable players? Well, all of a sudden, these guys that they traded for or picked up, they don't have options remaining anymore, so they're questionable status for next year. And I know that's fringes of the roster, but then there's major decisions on the roster. I saw one well-written, thought-out point this week that made the case for retaining Travis Shaw over Eric Thames as opposed to both. And on the surface, that seems a bit odd. And then you start looking at salaries and duplication of talents and potential. And it made me think of something that maybe I had just considered otherwise. So I'm looking at this roster, the number of arbitration cases, so many really, I'll say the word fun decisions that I think David Stearns has to look at going into this year, as opposed to last off season where I thought it was kind of more set in stone. Yeah, there's a lot of arbitration-eligible guys. And, look, I have a hard time. I look at that list. I saw a piece that was written on The Athletic this past week that kind of went through them all. And I'm not trying to take a sh- – I, I, don't, I don't take shots at other media people. I just mm-hmm. – more than anything else, I, I read it and I, I had some disagreements with it. I think the vast majority of the arbitration-eligible guys are going to be tendered contracts. I just don't see a lot of non-tenders on this team. Well, there's that whole aspect, too, where – they can tender somebody and come to an agreement or actually go through the arbitration process. And then in spring training, they might be only responsible for one sixth of the salary. I think it is. So depending on the level of salary, they could definitely, you know, have that in mind as they're heading into spring training where they may have to cut bait on somebody. If it's evident that, it's still not working out for a, a Jimmy Nelson or a Travis Shaw or something like that. Um, I've also seen other pieces that I've questioned a little bit, and, and God love the Brewer blogosphere, and some of these are national pieces as well, that talk about, oh, yeah, well, you know, um, Drew Pomerantz, uh, he'll, he'll be back, and of course, you know, he'll sign for this amount. And I'm like, really, guys? I, I don't know if you realize just how much 
remember the madness that every every reliever worth a worth a penny was getting three year twenty seven million dollar deals. They were like all cookie cutter deals. The Rockies had terrible success with it, but that's what those top relievers get now. And it's and not to cut you off, but it's yeah. it's Anthony Swarzak part two. Yeah, exactly. But there, all it takes is one other team. Yeah. And the same thing goes with Jordan Lyles. And I think, yes, there is a very mutual, beneficial relationship between uh, between Lyles and, and a Brewer uniform. However, let's not kid ourselves that this, he's going to be very in demand uh, this offseason. And if we think that maybe even before free agency officially begins, that, no, he's back. I've seen, oh, he'll come back for one year and six or two years and ten. And in my mind, I'm like, that's not even close to what it's going to take to uh, to get him back. Maybe I'm mistaken, but that was a significant stretch of him being one of the top starting pitchers in all of baseball uh, down the stretch. I do think there's a difference between the two, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I'm wrong a lot. I'm I'm good at being wrong, but uh, <laughs> I I would say I think Pomerantz looks like a guy who has found himself as a reliever, and it was not so much a Milwaukee fit thing. It was a okay this far into his career, he's finally figured out who he was. We're not going to mess around anymore with maybe making him a starter or whatever. He's a relief pitcher, and he can be an impact reliever, and he can be that guy for any team in Major League Baseball. Where I think with Jordan Lyles, there's a fit aspect to him that some of his success is because he's a really good fit inside of the Milwaukee organization. They understand him. They understand what he can do, and it works well. I'm not saying there's not going to be major interest for Lyles. You don't go have that that run that he had over the final month plus of the season and there be no interest. But for me, and again, I could be wrong on this, for me the difference between the two is I feel like Pomerantz is going to be viewed as more of a this is who he is, where Lyles is going to be viewed more as a this is who he is in Milwaukee, if that makes sense. I definitely can see that, and I, I see your point. I just think that um, people who consider it almost an automatic that somehow he'll be back um, just have to realize that the words free agency, uh, even in this day and age, uh, still uh, mean something. And, of course, we're not at the... It's not the type of free agency where we're talking qualifying offers or anything like that. It's just that he's out there. He's, his agent would be foolish not to listen to what others have to say, and we'll see what happens. But it's so much of a influx roster like now, right now, and in a way that I can't remember for for quite some time. I am. Um... Uh, the the obviously the number one conversation piece here in the off season is that of yes Monty Grandall and Mike Mustakis and it always for me it seems like just listening to the conversation outside of conversations that I'm a part of it comes down to well are they going to spend that amount of money are they willing to spend the money it's going to take to bring back a, a Mustakis and a Grandall they could and I think for Grandall, it might actually come down more to years as opposed to an annual average value, uh, which could play into it. But something that's not being talked about that I think is a really important part of this piece is if they don't bring back a Mike Moustakis, 
well, then they got to have somebody who can replicate his numbers and replace what he does at third base at the plate. Same deal with Grandall. If they don't bring back Grandall, they're going to have to find somebody to be the catcher. And I don't think if Manny Pena would have still been the starting catcher had they been comfortable with Manny Pena being the starting catcher. I, wanted the, I think they want to go with somebody who's got more ability at the plate. So that that that's not brought up a lot when this guy, everybody just wants to talk about the money where they're going to have to spend money. They're going to have to bring in players at both third base and at catcher. And those, they're going to have to be contributing members of this team. They just can't be some guy who's coming off the, the free agent scrap heap. So that's part of this as well, right? Because they got to find guys for that position. And that's another kind of, for me, that's a reason why I feel like there's a chance that both those guys could be back. You look, I I haven't, Fully analyzed, and I'm sorry I don't have it here in front of me. The full free agent list of, of you know league wide or you know, MLB wide of of who's going to be out there. But you look at somebody like the, the Yankees signed DJ Mayhew and the Mets signed Jed Lowry, right? For fairly similar money, I believe. And, and how did that work out for for each? That's how tricky this whole process can become. And in terms of just finding bodies that you think are going to slot in and replicate. You know, Moustakis is one thing. Grandal, well, I mean, we're talking catchers here. Uh, there's only one Grandal at this point uh, that's readily available. So it's. I'm with you in terms of it's fascinating to think how are they going to fill those voids if one or both aren't back. And, I, you know, I, it doesn't seem feasible that both would be back, but. Uh, strangest things have happened. They really like it here, and, and it's fortunate that they can really sell the culture and Craig Council and you know the, the Milwaukee as a, as a place to play and place to live 80 days a year. Um, a lot going for it, but still it's 29 other teams and some with very deep pockets and some with some real mandates now to get some things done. When you look at situations like the Dodgers and another miss on the World Series here, um, the Angels, there's all kinds of teams that are like, okay, we this is our time now, and they could be making those, those big splashes that pull away from Brewer talent. At third base, there are some legitimate guys that are going to be free agents. I, they're not going to be in the Anthony Rendon sweepstakes, that's for sure, but a Josh mm-hmm. Donaldson and a Drupal Cabrera, those guys are good players. At catcher, I mean, there the difference between Yasmani Grandal and probably the Robinson Torinos would probably be the second best free agent to be. Tyler Flowers uh, is going to be uh, out there depending on club option. Jason Castro, Travis Darno. I mean, we're talking a pretty significant uh, drop off from Grandal to whoever you want to view as the second best catcher that's going to be available in free agency. Well, we've got Jacob Nottingham and David Freitas on the 40 man, and well, I'm just being facetious here, but it's uh, it's scary to think. But there's a lot of teams in baseball that were successful to some degree, uh, maybe not the very top echelon that we're seeing now advancing to the the final four of the playoffs. But you know, Manny Pena for what, what's what's happened now. What was so unique about Grandal was that he was a hundred and 20-something games behind the plate, maybe even 130. Did he break that code? And more and more teams now are going to tandems where you know catchers are 
you have an 85 game guy and a 75 game guy and, and you just make the best of it that way. So Yasmani and it's, you know, I, Manny Pena can succeed as an 80 game catcher with the right partner. Um, I think we even saw that the year prior, um, certainly not succeed in the terms of where Grandal um, elevated his game to last year. But I think we're just talking, you know, we're talking the sun versus all the little planets here. And, and Grandal was the sun and remains the sun at this, at this point. I'm, I'm not trying to do like I told you so here. So I don't, please don't take it this way, but you were not, you were not super high on Grandal in our last conversation did he had an incredible run there with the team in September and playing every day when Pena got the concussion and everything? Did did what he did did what he, with what he did in you know the final six weeks of the season? Did that change at all your view on who he is as a player? Yeah, that was probably the most disappointing comment when I looked back at our conversation last time. That of all the people I was going to single out coming off of that 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 Cubs series, it was you know I, I was venting on him at the time and we know he didn't have the most spectacular stretch there and it was a significant stretch without you know with with power delays and um but really that was that was just me not being correct that evening And, and all in all uh just a fantastic run of course a great run down the stretch where he was just a beast, you know, in the lineup every day and at first base when he wasn't. So, yeah, I, it's not even I told you so. It was just, hey, Jim, you know, you picked the wrong guy to focus on in that particular comment because uh, he was solid throughout the season. Little little power power drought in in June, July, but uh, come on, he was he was really really good. And on a, a one-year risk factor for a team that had postseason hopes and, and got there in the end, um, what a great contract. So good for him. He bet on himself, and David Stearns took advantage. We got to enjoy the, the, the benefit. Do you? Uh, I think anybody who's a fan of a team that's not alive in the postseason or has been eliminated in the postseason, didn't make the postseason, whatever it might be, you watch the postseason and you try to kind of – put some things together about your team. And I, I had to chuckle this past week. I, I don't know if it was Rosenthal or po- I, I don't know. I, I have no clue who wrote it, but I saw on Twitter on point that, you know, the Yankees let themselves down by not investing in high level starting pitching. And I thought to myself, man, that whoever tweeted that out, they could have tweeted that out about the, the Brewers. You know, that was one of those narratives mm-hmm. from the Brewers fan base. And, and that was being said about the Yankees. So it's a, it's a baseball wide deal, unless you're the Astros or the, or, or the Nationals who happen to be the two teams going to the world series. But all that being said, have you watched this postseason? And has it made you think anything or say anything connected to the Brewers? Like what I'm saying is that watching these teams has it. Have you had a, an aha moment uh, about the Brewers because of what you've seen these teams do in the postseason? Yeah, I think I've had the same thought that every other Brewer fan has thought that, and that the the Cardinals and Dodgers wish that Josh Hader had closed out the Nationals that night. Yeah. Um, uh, how? I was. I know. I was. You know. I don't. I stand up out of my chair for special moments, but then there are certain innings where you just you're in the commercial break, and you're like, I'm going to stand up for this. And certainly, you know that uh, that bottom of the eighth in Washington was a stand up from the moment, and and you saw 
Josh Hader on the first pitch, I think it was way up in the way and ball one and he kind of stumbled off the mound and <laughs> you let your mind run a little bit and it's like, oh my, I hope he's got it tonight. And then clearly within moments he hadn't. So yes, Strasburg and Scherzer and Anibal Sanchez now and, and just, you know, to be a fearsome foursome and not just three. Well, well guess what? I mean, if it, the, the Brewers... Could have, should have, there would have been no talk. And we would have seen what happened in L.A. and subsequently uh, what would have happened versus St. Louis because they would have still gone on to beat the Braves, you imagine. So that's the talk I get out of my my own brain out of it while watching all this is that uh, how close did it be to – the Milwaukee Brewers once again shaking up the whole National League postseason and what would have happened. Now, beyond that, look, it's it's Astros Nationals and it's uh, seven incredible starting pitchers that we're going to see on display. These matchups are going to be tremendous. And the funny thing is, is that there's 28 other teams who can't even come close to replicating this. So is it going? I don't think it's going to create a trend at all because we saw what happened in game six with both teams, Yankees, Astros going to openers and bullpen guys. I think it's a very unique situation here that uh, Washington and Houston have from a, um, a, from a, a person just watching from afar. It's, it's going to be great baseball. This is going to be a really, really fun uh, world series. I hope that we see more than just four or five games out of it. But from the Brewer perspective, Matt, that's what I get out of it. I think like a lot of fans probably are is still looking back at that bottom of the eighth. Isn't it incredible that in, in that these teams, you know, the old, the way you used to construct a roster in the postseason was you would take three starters in the division series, and then once you got to the championship series, you would generally drop a relief pitcher off the roster, and you would take your fourth starter, and your fourth mm-hmm. starter would be available for that fourth game. And now these two teams made the decision that that 25th spot on the roster was more valuable to give to another relief pitcher than to give to a starter who would make one appearance as a starter in the series. And there you had the biggest game in the American League this season, and it's a bullpen game. I just I don't think enough people are talking about that. That is that is an amazing turn of events. And this is only a year, maybe a year and a half after Tampa Bay started to kind of revolutionize this, and now it's being embraced in a game six of the NLCS. It's that quickly that it's taken root and uh it's it's Rob Manfred's worst nightmare, and well, Rob Manfred is everybody's worst nightmare. But for him personally, uh, the pitching changes, and we're going to see how much the the three man rule is going to be in play next year. And, and are they dragging their feet on making any of these rule changes official? I mean, we haven't really heard anything yet that's yeah. official for 2020. That really bothers me, and I've ta- I think I've talked about this before. What really frustrates me about it is that I, last year, if you remember, we were maybe a month out from spring training, and they were talking about trying to implement some of those rules for this past season, the three batter minimum and everything. And I'm sitting there thinking, you've got teams that have signed players, 
constructed a roster for a certain set of rules, and now you're going to change the rules a month before spring training, I think it would be a major disservice to every general manager in baseball if Major League Baseball does not have the set rules in place prior to free agency opening. And I don't think they're going to. There's nothing that says that's going to happen, but you've got general managers who are building their rosters for a certain set of rules, and then all of a sudden the rules are going to change after you're a couple months into free agency. It's, it's, it's horrendous as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think the 26th man is locked in. I think so, uh, yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's, it's, it's really uh, bizarre in a way um, in a sport that has always lent itself to, okay, this is, these are the rules, these are the regulations, and this is what you live by. And to think that they're going to be semi, okay, be progressive, start thinking about some of these aspects of these things but i mean where are we with the pitch clock oh, so many every just about everybody's now pitched in triple a except for your verlanders and Grenkies and those guys you know these guys have pitched with the pitch clock at this point so you know let's either do something or you don't yeah um how many times have you had a game on well your situation is a little bit different matt with particularly um home games but maybe maybe you're on the Get a road game or something. Get these things called the DVR now, and you've got your fast forward button. So you sit down. Maybe you start watching the game a little after it's actually started. And if you put the the, the two arrows on the screen just right, you're like, wow. If you get, you don't get to hear the announcers at that point, but you say to yourself, if the game went at this pace, that would really work. You know what I'm saying? So. There's so much going on in terms of just the game itself, and when you start crunching the the, the Brewers roster roster aspect of it, um, big time, big time off season coming, and then just this week we get oh, Manfred's supposed edict, JJ um, Cooper, Baseball America, with the big story, and oh. all kinds of stuff could be happening going on in in places where you have roots as well in Colorado Springs, and who knows what'll happen there with their big investment in the vibes and Rocky mountain and all this, because that could be up for grabs too. And we could do a whole nother podcast just on that. Yeah. And I, I talked about a little bit at the top of the podcast. I'm really unhappy about that. I'm what I'm just hoping is that's, that's major league baseball trying to set an extreme place to start at in, uh, in terms of negotiations where that they, they don't want to actually get rid of teams. They're just trying to, create something there or even that's like a response to you know there's been this growing trend of people being critical of major league baseball for not paying players in the minor leagues with them saying okay well then we'll we'll create less opportunities for minor league baseball players how about that i don't know again we don't i'm gonna let you go here in just a a moment or so but uh Mm -hmm. it's uh i'm very frustrated by that uh by what baseball allegedly wants to do with the minor leagues i just think it's horrific Yep, and I'm taking one last glance before we go at, at this 40-man roster right now, and I'm just looking at names like, you know, Corbin Burns, and I mentioned earlier, you know, Jake Faria, Ray Black, uh, Gio Gonzalez. You know, talking about bringing somebody back. Can we can we not wait until May to do something there this time, or is will he be in the picture at all? And it, on and on with this roster and and. Just, it's really, I guess I'll just 
Brandon Woodruff, man. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Brandon Woodruff, for bringing some clarity to uh, at least one really fun uh, breakout season. And uh, it was more than just breakout. He really established himself, and that's one very high point that I'll take out of out of this season was that despite that oblique injury, um, boy, did he really establish himself and and I'll, I'll remember his name for sure from 2019 yeah absolutely well jim i appreciate it uh i encourage everybody to get to a uh, brewerfan.net be part of the community there uh always you know you can always get your uh, brewer talk needs filled uh at brewerfan.net and uh, we'll talk again uh, during the course of the uh, off season but really appreciate you taking some time Hey, thanks, Matt. You enjoy uh, your off-season, including all the upcoming holidays, and uh, best to you always. Jim Goulart joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. That's going to do it for uh, this one. Thanks for sticking with me through the entire first segment, getting into the uh, potential uh, rule changes in uh, minor league baseball and kind of going deep into the weeds on that do want to remind you brewers weekly airing thursday nights on wtmj i don't think we have another show this week no we don't have a show this week because the bucks are going to be in action but if the bucks are not playing we will generally have a show unless something else unforeseen comes up or if the packers have a thursday game the draft generally on thursday night if we don't do a show the night of the nfl draft but you get the idea we generally have shows on thursday nights at wtmj so look forward to talking to you there as well Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to talking to you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.